We open at what appears to be dusk in Baltimore, Maryland. A man dressed in a suit with a briefcase leaves his home in a busy part of downtown during a seemingly normal workday. As he walks by, only a few moments passes before we see that he's being watched from a storm drain by a figure shrouded in shadow. All we can make out are the figure's unnatural and sinister yellow eyes intently staring. In his office building, CCTV shows the man exit an elevator and arrive in his office alone. Moments later, the elevator opens again, but there's no elevator. It has since moved, and only the cables are visible, which then begin to move and twitch as if something or someone is climbing them. The man gets settled into his office, makes a call to his wife at home, and leaves a voicemail that he'd be working late, mentioning the time, 8.30 p.m. He hangs up, grabs a coffee mug, and walks out of his office. We then see something strange, an AC vent, shockingly beginning to unscrew itself from the inside and being pushed open. The man pours himself some coffee, and we see the vent again, and then fingers begin to snake under it and open it slowly. The man re-enters his office and is immediately attacked by an unseen assailant. The office door slams shut. We hear growling, struggling, and the closed office door is cracked from an impact. We then see the aftermath. The man is dead. The office is a mess. Blood is spattered throughout the room, and we then see the entry point of his unknown killer. The air conditioning vent now screwing shut by itself. We hear the sound of breathing from the inside of the vent. This is The X-Files, Season 1, Episode 3, Squeeze, and you're listening to The Tape Store. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And we're happy to be back, everybody. And we're definitely happy to delve into another X-File. And this is a special episode. Yes. It's a special episode because season one, episode three, again, called Squeeze, Mm -hmm. is the first of what is known as the Monster of the Week episodes. Yes. Remember we talked about... uh, Yeah, we did. And I think for the very first... There's two there's two types. If this is your first time listening to us talk about the X-Files, there's two types of X-Files episodes. There is the episodes that deal with Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. She's with him, but this is you know, we talked about how it's it's focused on Mulder's search. Yeah, we're we're following their lives. Yeah, in- and it eventually becomes Scully's quest too. We know this. Of course, of course. She may not seem like she knows it at the beginning, right? No, she and she probably doesn't. But she is on this journey, Absolutely. and and it is her journey. I would say just as much as it is Mulder's. Yeah, they to, have different things to discover. Right, and then I think eventually they do. They align. Yeah. They align. But two types of X Files episodes. There's the ones that deal with Mulder's and Scully's overarching quest for the truth. Mm-hmm. Are we alone in the universe? Aliens? You know, 
Are they real? Supernatural. Is the government yeah. is the government purposefully trying to hide it? And also, Mulder's particularly his search for the truth also connects to the disappearance of his sister. Of course, Samantha. Now, the other type of X Files episodes are the Monster of the Week episodes. This is where Mulder and Scully are dealing with cases that aren't necessarily connected. In fact, they're not connected at all. Excuse me. Right. Not connected at all with with the overarching, you know. Yeah. Uh, the truth story arc. Right. It's just more. It's just more strange happenings yeah. that no one can explain. It's still strange, and it's still supernatural. But again, it's things happening independent of right. of Mulder and Scully's great quest. Yeah. You could plug these episodes in at any point during right. the show, and you wouldn't miss. Um, you wouldn't miss anything on the timeline. And these are of everybody that I talk to that are X Files fans. They love the Monster of the Week episodes the most. I think that there are great things about both. But so there's a certain allure and excitement about both types of X-Files episodes. Yes. So and and there's things that you get when you're when you're following Mulder in his truth quest and with Scully, you really get to see uh, a lot about Mulder personally, a lot about Scully personally, right. whereas the Monster of the Week you get the the good old-fashioned Getting creeped detective out. Detective work. Yeah, yeah, good old-fashioned detective work and getting creeped out yeah. and just, you know, really getting immersed in the world of the bizarre and, you know, all these different monsters and crazy things. And it's just great. So this is the first one, Squeeze. Yes, and it's perfect because we are at the beginning of Spooky yes. Season. Of all the X-Files episodes to drop into Spooky Month, yeah, this one, Squeeze, is perfect because it deals with in my opinion, one of the creepiest and scariest villains in the X-Files universe, and that's Eugene Victor Toombs. So um, it, it's just, this is going to be a lot of fun, and again, very fitting. So if you're ready, I'm ready to jump into... Yes, I'm ready, forever. Squeeze. So we've already been presented our big question. It's, it's kind of two things, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Why is there some guy, I mean, if we want to call him a guy... Yeah, seemingly a person... Yeah. Why is he in the storm sewer watching people? Right. What What is his motive? What is, the, you know. Yeah. Or what is its motive, right? You know, mm-hmm. speaking of it, right? You said it was very much like it. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I mean, look, any. I think, I feel like anyone, anytime you see somebody in a storm drain, you're like, ah, yes, Pennywise. <laughs> of course. I so, and, and maybe that help, and maybe that um, is kind of one of those subconscious cues that yeah. the writers are using because they're gonna, you're gonna know if you see somebody in storm yeah. drain, your mind's already going somewhere bad. All right. Well, so it that's was good. It serves a purpose. It was creepy, like yeah. a, a pair of yellow eyes peering out of a storm yeah. drain. No good at, at somebody who's just you know kind of going about their day. Yeah, it it was very effective. And the way as, and like the way he was staring was no like his eyes like I mean just wide open like right not nope. And the second question is how the heck would an intruder of any kind be able to fit in such a small and enclosed area like an AC vent because the right. eyes the eyes did look humanoid yeah. like a person so we have a real conundrum here mm-hmm. really this is, fitting. this is bizarre Washington DC in Washington Scully is having lunch with a colleague his mm-hmm. name is agent Tom Colton played by an actor we all know yeah. uh, Donald Logue He's in so many things. He is. Uh, he was He's in, a great character actor. He was in Vikings. Yes. Uh, we saw oh, him in Vikings. I, think, I, I think forgot that. That might have been the last thing I saw him in. No, he was also... Was, he was Vikings? In, he was in Copper, too. That's right. He was in Copper. Okay. 
he was in Patriot, the Patriot. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he he's he's a very I mean he's a, he's a well known actor he's one of those actors that you're like oh wait I've seen him in something yeah. and it just I'm only thinking of what I've seen him in just right off the top of my head right I'm sure if we looked it up but it's he, a massive he's list. A, he's a great actor excellent he is Agent Colton is a driven and ambitious agent not really in the best ways we're going to get into that but yeah he's a he's what I call a climber mm-hmm. he is a skilled investigator he he is he's obviously good at his job. Yeah, he, really doesn't, he doesn't have to like fake it. He's good. No, I mean, Scully's a good agent, and she obviously regards him as a good agent. She's spending some time with him. She's talking shop with him, and that says something. So the problem with Colton is he's right. ultimately being fueled with selfish ambition. He's yeah, he just, wants he's to very, get ahead. Yeah, he wants to get ahead just because he wants to get ahead. Mm-hmm. He wants a big desk. That's what he wants. Yeah, he wants that case that's going to make his career yeah. like many an FBI agent before him has said. Right, but he is being fueled by self, mm-hmm. and... We're really going to see. Uh, I, I really loved the, to see the comparison between him and Mulder. Yeah. In this in this episode. However, to Scully, he does not bill it that way. He, no. He's more like, hey, like I'll help you, you help me, and this will help us both. Like, no. He makes it very. But when he gets palatable. around it right, but when he gets around Mulder, he can't hide it. Mm-mm, he no. can't hide the kind of person he is around someone genuine like Mulder. Yeah, you can't hold genuine up to artificial. No. You can't, I mean... No, artificial by itself might be convincing. Yeah, like if you have a pot of artificial flowers in a hotel, that's fine. But you hold them up to actual orchids, you're like, okay, no, that's... Right, you put it next to the genuine article. Forget it, And and Mulder is the genuine article. He is. So he makes fun of Mulder, actually, Colton does, in his lunch with Scully. And they're eating like... It looked like just like cherry tomatoes and pieces of iceberg lettuce. I know, like maybe, like, did they not get to the meal? Like, are those the side salads before the meal? I don't know. Because... I mean, I'm all I'm here for a salad. I gen- Don't get me yeah. wrong, but I I'm, feel like Scully would get a salad though. Maybe, maybe what they're maybe pretty bland. you know, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, let's look a little deeper. Well, as I said, Colton calls Mulder spooky, which you know we know that Mulder has that reputation. To us, it's a compliment. <laughs> we love it, but to him, this is spooky not. month. It is spooky. Mulder is like the poster child for spooky. We love month. it. Scully defends Mulder, calling him a great agent. No. Colton then informs Scully that he needs help on a case in Baltimore. I wanted to mention this. This all takes place in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. And we know what Baltimore is. That's Poe country. Yes. Right? It is also Hannibal Lecter country. Right. So Baltimore Oh, we're back. Is... We're back. Oh, the, the Clarice Starling thing is back. Right, right. I love it's it. It's great. Yeah. I'm here for it. So, I don't know. I just thought of that when it when it first went down. We were watching this episode, and That's I saw there was a, a good, Baltimore. Yeah. We visited the Edgar Allan Poe house. <gasps> well, one of his houses. I know he lived in a few places, yes. but we did go to the and one in Baltimore. And we went to his grave. Yeah, his grave is and in Baltimore. And I was in heaven. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a literature teacher. Most of you know that, but if you're new to the right. show, I teach English, so Poe was one of my favorites. So yeah, And it was a perfect day. It was cloudy and, overcast. and rainy and oh, cold. Yeah. We were wearing like our jackets and a stuff. perfect day yeah. to die of mysterious causes. Right. <laughs> so this is all, you know, and, and I'm thinking about all this while we're watching this episode. Uh, so. I'll hail spooky month. So Colton is having an issue. He has hit a dead end on a series of murders, three, that started six weeks ago. With okay. varying victims. This is a problem because there's no real pattern with the exception of one. There appears to be no known point of entry to the crime scenes. And that okay. should be- hearken us back to the beginning. Yes. Scully, in usual Scully fashion, tries to give some practical explanation. She suggests that they're suicides until Colton informs her that each victim has had their liver ripped out without a cutting tool. Ooh. Scully is invited by Colton... And indirectly, Scully's kind of like, you know, 
I'm going to bring Mulder along. Right. <laughs> but Colton makes it a point to let Scully know and Mulder, you know, by proxy, by proxy. this is his case. Because mm-hmm. he sees this as his big break. That it's gonna, he needs help. That's going to shoot him straight to the top, right? We then move to the office of George Usher, who we find is the name of the victim in the beginning. Yes. He's the man who was killed in his office, George Usher. We're at his office. It's the crime scene. Right. Still in Baltimore. At the crime scene, Mulder and Scully have some banter about Colton. So now we now Mulder's mm. in the picture, and him and Scully are talking. Mulder's a bit put off that he wasn't asked personally. You know, Mulder's got a bit of a bit of an ego too. He does, and I mean, rightly so. He's incredibly intelligent. He knows his stuff, even though people think he's nuts. Right. He is smart, and he is kind of ahead of the game. It's just he kind is. of the way it is. He's just kind of a couple steps ahead of most of the people around him. Right. And. Mulder seems to be unaware as to how he's perceived by other agents. I don't think for a second, though. No, he knows. I think he's more he interested. He says it later. Right. I think he's more interested in what Scully thinks of him. Yeah. I think he is. Mulder is incredibly intelligent. He's very intuitive. Yeah. I think he knows. I think he know. I think he can read a room really mm-hmm. well. So I think he knows. Well, what, he's opened up to Scully in a right. very personal way. I think he. Re- I mean, there's some vulnerability. We've there, said yeah. it before. The 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 care between these two is just. Almost instant. Yeah, it is. And it's genuine. On both sides. Yeah, yeah, so I think you're right. He definitely is like, Scully, okay, like, I it's I basically just want you to like me. I want you to, to, to like who I am. In fact, yes, and that makes sense because he asks Scully in this conversation if she thinks he's spooky, and oh. she doesn't answer. Oh. Well, they're interrupted by Colton. My poor Mulder. Yeah, they're interrupted by Agent Colton. When he walks in, and upon meeting Mulder, he wastes no time. And taunting him and asking him if he thinks these these murders and the one that they're currently at was done by little green men. Mulder doesn't get upset though. This is this is where this is why you can't come at Mulder. No. Like this. Mulder doesn't get upset, but rather plays along and agrees because Mulder knows what everyone thinks. Mm-hmm. Colton might be a good agent, but he is no Fox Mulder. No. In fact, Colton thinks Mulder's serious when he's kind of like, Oh yeah, I think little green men did this. I think aliens did this, you know. <laughs> He, he doesn't even see that Mulder's joking with him. Right. He's He can't even recognize sarcasm. Right. It's very plain to see that Colton is really no match for, for Mulder. There's also a real message here. Colton does the work because he wants a bigger office and a bigger desk. Mulder does the work. And Scully, too. Yeah. Because there's something that they're after that's much deeper mm-hmm. and much more meaningful. Right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Mulder and Scully are doing the work... Because they believe in something bigger than themselves, mm-hmm. more meaningful than themselves. Colton wants a big office, a big desk. And, and his name, you know, he wants to be a celebrated right. FBI agent. Which, that's not wrong in and of itself. But to not care who you step on to get no. there, that's awful. I just think that... And it'll come back to bite whatever you. Whatever fuels you, mm-hmm. if it's self, I think it's only going to take you so far. Right. And I think if it's something greater than yourself, I think it's going to... It's going to take you to big places. Yeah, and then right. it'll keep going after you, which that's that should be right. the goal. So Mulder walks off to do his Mulder thing, which is which is <laughs> to go you get know, spooky. Yeah, well, to, to to really look for the things that most people don't look for. Mm-hmm. Scully gives a sympathetic look to Colton, almost like, "Why'd you do that?" Because yeah. Colton clearly lost this exchange. Mulder won. Colton zero. Yes, of course. As Colton explains a theory to Scully, it only takes Mulder moments to notice metal shavings on the floor below the AC vent, Mm -hmm. which he then dusts and finds a bizarre, elongated fingerprint. 
Colton thinks it's preposterous that Mulder would consider the vent as a place of interest because it's six by 18 inches. Right. Now, <clears throat> practical, you know, knowledge or a, a practical assumption would be, why are you dusting? Right, vent? right. But again, Mulder, his very nature is to believe that anything can happen. Yes. And as we find out, he has prior intel that would lead him to look in certain places. Right. As always, there's all he always knows right. something else that we don't know. And it's obvious that again, while Colton is a skilled agent, he's incredibly practical mm-hmm. and he's way too fundamental for his own good. Yeah. And he's just trying to do the He gets in his own way. Right. The prints, right? Mulder has found a print, a, yeah. a strange elongated print which he matches with a set he had from another X-File which dealt with 10 murders in Baltimore, mm-hmm. same location. Same M.O., undetermined entry points, missing livers. The fingerprint from Usher's office was found in five of the ten crime scenes. So that seems great, right? Right. What's the problem? The problem is two of these prints were found in crime scenes in 1963, 30 years before. This is 19, right. 1993 now. Glorious year, 1993. We, <laughs> we love the 90s. The other three in 1933... Mulder also mentions a similar murder in 1903. Right. 90 years before. So it's every it's every 20 years. 30. 30. Sorry. It's okay. I'm, I'm not a math teacher. I'm an English teacher. But he assumes Mulder, again, for the reasons we just said, mm-hmm. Mulder believes this is the same perpetrator. Right. It's happening again in 1993. How could that be? So here, here here's another big question. How can we have a series of murders... Same fingerprint, same MO, same location over ninety years and it'd be the same person. Right. It's 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 in reality it's impossible. Right. But not a molder's reality. We get a molder moment right at the beginning. Yeah. You know the molder moment. Yes. Where he pretty much kinda <laughs> molder says basically his he, hypothesis. Right. Which is almost always right. Right. Something or someone is somehow committing bizarre murders over a ninety year period. Five murders confirmed in nineteen thirty three. Five more in 1963, three in 93, which leaves Mulder to safely surmise that there's two more left in this cycle. Okay. With fingerprints being so unique, the fact that the prints are a perfect match leaves no room for doubt in Mulder's mind. Like, you can't, yeah. And with the MO and the timeline of the murders, everything points to something supernatural. Which is easy for Mulder to accept. Right, that's a a non-issue. He specifically points out to Scully, this isn't aliens, but it's certainly something unprecedented and extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Scully's like, you don't really think this is aliens. You know, she's right. she's got to like, think. Don't she, go back to that. She's still getting used to Mulder. She, you know, she's thinking that he's looking at everything through the filter of aliens. Right. Mulder's saying, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is something else beyond that. Uh, any kind of science that we know now on Earth. Right. You know. Scully objects, knowing Colton won't hear any of it. She's like, you know this is Colton's case, and he's not going to accept any of this. Mulder suggests that they do their own little investigation (laughs) parallel to Colton's and just don't let the streams cross, right? Of course. As usual, we go to Scully. She's writing her report. Right. Right? Scully, that's that's one of her her big uh, directives, is she has to keep detailed notes, right? She's writing her report where she profiles the killer. She believes the killer to be male, 25 to 35 years of age, 
with above average intelligence and a superior knowledge of building structures or as someone who hides in plain sight as a delivery or maintenance worker. Mm. Referring to the extraction of the liver, she asserts that the killer is ritualistic and is taking it because of its biological properties of regeneration and cleansing of the blood. Now, you know, Scully's medical yeah, she, doctor. Right. She she knows. So she's using her medical, her, you know, and that is what the liver does. So she thinks that this is something ritualistic. They believe that there's something supernatural about the, the livers, but right. that this is just a killer. Right. Just uh, somebody uh, with a really a normal, weird MO. Right. Not not someone with uh, supernatural capabilities. Right. right? <laughs> Scully also believes that the killer will likely return to the site of a previous murder out of frustration of not being able to find another victim and that they should stake out the previous murder locations. And Scully tells Colton about all this. And they think, wow, this is a great profile. And, of course, they take an opportunity to take a shot at Mulder. Scully doesn't like it, but... Scully is not adding Mulder's assertions into this. No. She's just giving a basic... Her stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they think this is great. So they agree to do it. They mm-hmm. stake it out. Scully is invited to join Colton's team. Colton seems to have taken a liking to her. I think he sees her potential. Yeah. Which is obviously there. Right. But I don't think... I think Colton is underestimating just how much... Maybe even Scully doesn't even realize how much she's dedicated to Mulder. I don't yeah. think Scully realizes it and yet. And how much stock she actually does put into Mulder. Right. Even though she she won't always admit it up front. She, will, yeah. she in the end, always backs this play. Yeah, it's like Colton's trying to kind of cut into this dance with Scully mm-hmm. and Mulder. And I think even Scully's like, wait a minute, no, I, I don't want to stop doing this. Yeah. You know? So Scully goes to George Usher's office building. He was the victim from the beginning of the show and waits in the parking deck. She's startled by Mulder. Who technically shouldn't be there, but <laughs> they try s- to keep him awake. No. Come on, he tells her like, "Look, you've got this all wrong. He's not a normal person. Right? This is not something normal we're dealing with." Mulder further tells Scully she's wasting her time, and he goes to leave, but then he hears a sound coming from the ductwork in the parking deck, like like you know the big yeah. AC tubes. He right. runs over and watches as something appears to be crawling around inside of it. Mulder alerts Scully to call for backup. They both stand and watch the this this air big air conditioning duct or this air vent where scuffling can be heard. Scully calls for whoever is in there to come out. Suddenly, the vent door is kicked open, and we see two feet. Mm-hmm. A man slowly crawls out and faces the agents with his hands up. He's wearing some kind of city service uniform and is immediately taken into custody by Colton's team. Mulder turns to Scully and says, you were right. And leaves. And this guy is very unassuming, this guy they catch. He, yeah. He, he's small, statured. Yeah. It seems... And, Looks skittish. Yeah, he he doesn't look like someone who would who would be capable Mm-mm. of committing numerous murders um, with, with this kind of savagery. He just seems like a, again, just like an guy. unassuming guy. As as Scully said, hiding in plain sight. But but here's the thing. Scully said that he's likely some kind of maintenance worker. Yep. This This guy... Is wearing a city service uniform, right? So she, so she seems to be right on all counts. He seems to match physically her profile. Yeah, his name is Eugene Victor Toombs, and he's taken back to the FBI bureau in Baltimore, Maryland. He's given a polygraph test. He's quiet and strangely calm and emotionless. Yeah. Through the polygraph, we find that he works with the Baltimore Municipal Animal Control. 
<laughs> he denies killing anyone and that he was in the vent to get a cat that had apparently been reported to be crawling around up there. Mulder has the person administering the polygraph, though, to ask Toombs if he was over 100 years old and if he was at one of the crime scenes in 1933. Toombs actually passes the polygraph with flying colors. Uh, the woman who administered she was like, uh, A+. Plus. This guy's not lying. Yeah. And this frustrates Colton and his team. They believe Toombs is innocent. Scully's suspicious. Mulder convinced. Yeah. He's the guy. Yeah. He's Why? not worried about it. <laughs> Why? Because Toombs, in fact, did lie on two questions. The two that Mulder put in. Yep. Is he over 100 years old? And was he at a crime scene in 1933? But because that's so weird, right? They just kind of discount them. Colton and right. his team are like, no, let him go. This is ridiculous. Colton tells Scully that Mulder's insane, and he's going to take it upon himself to get her out of the X-Files, to which Scully is like, no, thank you. So th this is a big deal right here coming up. Yeah. Th he, this is something that, this is a big talking point that we both stopped when this yeah. happened right here. <laughs> yeah, we did. M Mulder and Scully leave the, the room where they gave the polygraph, and they talk briefly, where Scully rebukes Mulder for being territorial over her and... <laughs> You know, I guess over the whole situation. Yeah. And kind of trying to control, put, putting these questions in Colton Colton's polygraph, you know. Yeah. This is ultimately his case. Mulder's kind of cutting in a little bit. Mulder has an interesting response. He tugs affectionately at Scully's necklace. Mm-hmm. And commends her for respecting the journey for the truth, even though she doesn't always agree with Mulder. Basically, what he's saying was, look, you might disagree with me, but you are not those guys. Yeah. But it was that necklace tug. That I was like, like, oh, oh. Right. Oh. I know. I told us, hold up now. Right. Because I'm sorry. And maybe this is because we're high school teachers and we see this crap all the time. But you don't do that crap if you're no. just like, haha, platonic. You're like, I'm sorry. There's something there. There's just that like magnetism between these, well, these two on both their parts. I would assert that even if like nothing ever happened between Mulder and right. Scully when I'm watching them, I would still think that what they have was more than friendship. Yes, even if it's just really just a something deep. Even if it's, I don't know, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't feel like plat I don't feel like platonic would ever be no the right definition. I also but I could also say that I mean now obviously, you know, you and I have seen the whole series, so we know. Sure. But let's say we haven't I, I mean even if it wasn't fully romantic, it's some. It is not fully platonic. No, that's what I'm saying. It's just it's a wonderful enigma. And we're early in the game, and we're seeing we're seeing signs of this already. That there's that there's a powerful bond forming between these two. Yeah, and I think oh, I want one thing that I think is interesting that what is the what is the necklace that Scully always wears? What's well, on it? It's you know? a cross. It's a cross. Right. So for him to tug on her necklace. Which mm -hmm. is a cross, which is a symbol of faith, mm -hmm. and he's saying you're respecting the journey, even though you don't always believe. To me, right. that's a moment of him saying you already understand this process because you're a person of faith. Right. It might so not you, be so. Yeah, you can't see it, but I know there's something in you that already has tapped into that. I don't see it, but I believe it. You, yeah, you have the power. Of yeah. Belief, so for yeah. me, that that was another layer to that necklace tug. He was like, "Hey, just because Scully doesn't always agree with Mulder doesn't mean that Scully doesn't have a powerful belief, right?" In something. And I just I don't know that moment said 
it's a bunch of things. It had you know romantic stuff, but it also right. was this other layer. It was yeah. just a I, really I wanna... cool moment. This rational woman, right? She doesn't have proof of this one thing that's right. that she wears every episode. Every it's even on the action figures, right? Yep. Like you know, it's it's obviously a Scully staple. So that was just a really really cool moment. It keeps her somehow. I don't want to say at odds with Mulder, but what makes her so interesting in her own right, Scully, is that mm-hmm. she is consistently contradicting herself by being someone who has obviously a powerful propensity to believe. Yeah. She is so complex. She's layered. Just as complex and la- as layered as Mulder. It just doesn't seem that way. They're like mirror images of one another, like right. like yin and yang. Like they're both like where he's strong, she's weak. Right. And it, but I don't know. It's just, I just crazy. Think that, I think that it might seem that Scully's not as complex because she's always talking about the practical. Right. But make no mistake, she's just as deep as Mulder. Right. It just looks different. But I, I agree with that. You know, I think the necklace and all that. I mean, that was, for us, that was a pretty deep moment. Yeah, <laughs> we loved it. <laughs> And after he says all this to her, you know, he gives the tug mm-hmm. and stuff and he commends her. He says, if you want to go work with those guys, I won't hold it against you. And he walks up the steps and Scully follows him. And she's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. She's like, what? No, no. She goes, I want to see where this goes. And then the Mulder gives that smile, which ultimately what she just said is, nobody, I'm sticking with you. Right. Which is good because Mulder has a lot more. <laughs> of course. He's got a lot more information that he's not shared. Mm-hmm. I think he just had to see where she was at. Right. Mulder shows Scully actually a, a bombshell. He compares Toombs's prints with the fingerprint from Usher's office. Toombs's prints. Right. Which look normal. And the fingerprint from Usher's office, which is the strange elongated one that matches right. other strange elongated prints from 33 and 63. Yeah. Mulder uses the computer software yeah. to stretch Toombs's normal looking print to the same size as the ones that he's found on the crime scene, and it's a 100% match yep. when he distorts it. Scully is shocked. Yeah, she's like, wait a minute. How could this be? Yep. Because there's one thing that Scully always stands on, science Yep. and fingerprints, how unique fingerprints are, Yeah. and how they're not something that replicates with right. people. That's why we use them to solve crimes. She knows that science. Yeah. So here's Mulder saying... Explain this one. Right. And I think that's something this show is constantly doing because usually you're thinking, okay, well, these are things that science can't explain. But so often in the X-Files, the science is explaining the unexplained. Right. So what do you do when the science is is proving something fantastical? And I think that's one of the greater questions of the show. Unfortunately, though, the case is Agent Colton's, and he let Toombs go. That night, we see... From beginning to end, what actually has been going on. Mm-hmm. That night, Toombs stalks and murders a man. And it's creepy. Yeah, it's... Oof. And it's bizarre. And it's supernatural. Apparently, when Toombs is on the hunt, his eyes turn yellow. And Ugh. he behaves almost animalistic. Yeah. Uh, what's truly terrifying about this scene is <laughs> we have a man in his house... And we see how Toombs is able to do the things he does. Yeah. He can stretch and contort his body in order to fit into small spaces. He slips through this man, his second victim that we've seen in the show. Right. Which is actually the fourth victim of this cycle. He slips through the man's narrow chimney to gain access to his home. And we actually see him attack and kill him. 
And Brooke was even like, oh, gosh. I know. The face he makes. Yeah. he's. And by the way, the actor who plays Tombs is Doug Hutchinson. I know him as Tombs, and he was also in The Green Mile. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff, but he was in The Green Mile. But Doug Hutchinson is the actor that plays Tombs, by the way. Just wanted to say. Yeah. Didn't mention that when we first introduced Tombs in the picture. But So we have a fourth murder. Mulder and Scully arrive to the crime scene where they find a clearly exasperated Colton, who is at this point throwing theories out there. <laughs> Seeing what'll stick. Right, and it's clear <laughs> that he is frustrated mm-hmm. and not reacting well under the pressure of not being able to to solve this. Right, because this is supposed to be his right. big break. And here's Mulder watching him, and here's Scully being here, so this is supposed to be his big break. He's supposed to be worthy of a big desk mm-hmm. and a lot more authority, and he's he's wanting to pull his hair out. Colton protests to their presence, which Scully now defends Mulder in a much more stark manner. Yeah. Reminding him they are authorized to be there and that stopping Mulder would look bad on his personnel file. She goes, you wouldn't want stopping an agent to be on your personnel file. In other words, Scully's taking a shot at him saying, you know, your, your perfect little image that you're trying to create right. for, for the bigwigs of the FBI isn't going to look great when you're trying to stop one of your own. Exactly. Someone on your team. That you have asked for help in this arena. When Colton asks Scully whose side she's on, she replies, the victims. Now, that's true. Yeah. Now, look, Scully is Team Mulder. She is. But we haven't gotten into some other episodes that I've seen over the years where Mm -hmm. Scully actually turns on Mulder because she believes that Mulder's wrong. We talked about this. Yeah. Her faith, and, you know, if we think about the fact, and Scully, it's a Christian faith, Catholic. Yeah, she's Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, and, and I'm not talking about just Christianity, but if someone believes in a religion. Yeah then that, that means they believe that there's a good greater than all mankind, which means the only loyalty... Yes. She, well, she's Right. They make a point to have her wear this cross in every episode. If it weren't important to her character, right. it wouldn't be there. And I, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a theater person. Costume choices are intentional. So if they give her this, it's a big part of her life. Right. And what, the, what that tells me and what that needs to tell us about Scully, here's something we need to understand about her. And she's going to prove this yeah. continually as the show continues. Right. She will even turn on Mulder if it means choosing between him and what she sees as the greater good. Yes. Because Scully does have a faith in God, which means... She believes so, in Mulder, but she believes in something higher. Right. In her opinion that is higher. Yes. And... And this is where Scully really shines as such a great character. Yeah, it's really cool. But what we're really seeing, too, is a problem with Colton. Not about principle. He's not about passion. He's about position. Yes. Ooh, that's good. He wants real <laughs> success. Yeah, he wants real success, which a lot of us want to be successful. Well, of course. There's, again, there's nothing wrong with that on its right. own. But you have to be a person of principle. Yeah. And you have to care about what you're doing and who you're helping. Right. Everything to Colton is a rung on a ladder. Yeah. And there are people that make it mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But I just think that they forfeit a lot of things that are really important. Exactly. And I think some people, it's not that this is just some like, oh, it never works. For some people it works. Yeah, for some people it works, but a lot of times at the expense of their character. Right. You know, I mean, like I want to be a successful teacher or whatever, but I'm not just going to like shoot down my coworkers. In the process, right. I'm going to learn from them, and they're going to help me, and I'm going to help them. And you you become successful in an integrous way, or you right. should. Not through this, like, well, who started? He doesn't care about what side she's on. No. He's just mad that he's not doing well right no, now. No, Colton, I think, 
is, again, a skilled agent. But the problem with Colton is that he's the type of guy mm-hmm. that I think would end up becoming corrupt. Yeah. Someone offer him enough money, for sure. Right. Well, there's a reason why Mulder is perfectly fine and perfectly happy with being in this fringe office. Right. Because <laughs> in the basement or wherever. Because yeah. he's a man of principle. Mm-hmm. And Scully... He cares about what he's doing. Right. And he's passionate about yes. it. Yes. And Scully, who now has been essentially also made fun of yeah but by her association guilty mm-hmm. by association with Sco- spooky molder yeah but she's principled principled and passionate yeah and this colton guy's like i don't care what's yeah. right this makes me look bad right i think that scully can g- i think she can commit herself to genuine right i she didn't sign up for molder but she, but what she got ended up being a genuine person, and yes. what and what Mulder's doing is genuine. He's honest, and that's why she can sign on for it because yeah. she's Mulder's like, okay, honest. yeah, you you mean everything you say and do, so I can get it. I can get with that. But Colton, right. like, forget it. He, no, he, he his probably his preferences bl- sway with whatever strongest wind is blowing. What'll get him more popularity and more accolades? You can look at him, and he's an easy read. Oh yeah. I don't think Mulder needs to worry about him. Mulder two, Colton zero. (laughs) Yes. Mulder finds another strangely shaped print on the mantelpiece at the crime scene. Again, immediately. Immediately, it doesn't take him long because he's always outside the box. Look though. Further confirming that he's right about tombs. Also, an item belonging to the victim appears to have been to have been taken from the mantelpiece. Mm -hmm. After spending time at the crime scene of the fourth victim, Mulder and Scully regroup where they uncover more evidence. Through some research, Mulder has found a man in 1903, as in a man who lived in the year 1903, named Eugene Victor Toombs, that lived in an apartment on Exeter Street in Baltimore. Understand this. We just arrested and released a guy doing some suspicious stuff that is already shown to have lied about some questions that Mulder was very specific about having to do with what he believes... Is you know what he believes is going on here, right? And his name is Eugene Victor Toombs. So we have a Eugene Victor Toombs in 1993, right? Suspicious, captured, released, mm-hmm. and whom we have now seen murder someone, and we can safely assume is the guy. We right. just don't know how. And now here's a man that Mulder has found in 1903, Eugene Victor Toombs. What the heck's going on? So I want to add something about Exeter Street. Okay. So as we men- as you mentioned earlier, this is set in Baltimore. It's Poe Land. Yeah, it this is. It's his final resting place, actually. Um, That's so right. here's the thing. His apartment was on Exeter Street, right? Toombs's. Toombs's, is, yeah. right. So here's a fun fact. So on uh, so Poe, when he was he was found semi conscious in the gutter of Lombard Street near Exeter Street. An area now known as Corn Beef Row. Wow. His he his and, and here's the thing, he was passing through Baltimore when he died. So in my mind, I like to think Victor Toombs got him too. <laughs> that's what that's what's floating in my mind right now. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> that was by his apartment. It's interesting. Yeah. So I'm just adding my own little fan theory in there. Y'all do what you want with that. If we've got some cool fan theorists out there, go ahead and make it happen. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's it's not, very interesting. It doesn't though. fit the every thirty-year profile, but I mean, you know, you got to start at some point, right? So it's definitely interesting that these things are connected with Poe. You know, yes, and his death was very delirious. You know, he like no one knew what happened. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, ooh, maybe he got to him and couldn't finish the job. Oh, 
Sorry, this is this is <laughs> what happens when your when your mind goes wild. So no, I think that's interesting that near Exeter Street, that's where right. Poe was found dying. Yeah. So, so that's well, pretty fun. Here's the thing: this guy, Eugene Victor Toombs, yes. from 1903, uh, there was a murder right. at, at his apartment. The person who lived above him, okay, Scully, in Scully fashion, right. Asserts that this tombs was a grandparent of our current tombs, and mm. that this ultimately boils down to, uh, you know, what happens when some crazy murderous grandparent raises a person, right. to, you know, and and there's also genetics is why they had the same fingerprints. She thinks somehow genetic generational kind of thing, right? Mulder disagrees, of course. <laughs> Mulder is now seeing there is a, an urgency to this. Why five victims every thirty years? On this cycle in 1993, four have been killed, which means... There's one more. There's one more. Mm-hmm. Mulder is certain if they don't catch tombs now, they're not going to get another chance until 2023, which is kind of crazy to hear <laughs> yeah, them talk Yeah, we're like, about. oh, that's, that's three only, years from that's now. <laughs> only a few years. Uh, so, yeah, five in 1903, likely. Mm-hmm. Five definitely in 1933. Five definitely in 63. Now, four in 93. Mulder's like, we are running out of time. Yeah. Now, Scully hasn't quite bought into Mulder's theory that this is the same guy over a period of 90 years. Right. But either way, she's along for the ride. So they go on a long night of surfing the microfish, which, again, something I did, I've talked about. I know. That's really cool. And I'm sad that I haven't done it. Yep, I did it. <laughs> I've in, seen it in every movie that I love. <laughs> yeah, late 90s, community college, you know, I was on the microfish as well. We were, we, we were, we were full on internet by the time I got there. Right. Here's the problem. Mulder and Scully are not able to really find anything at all on tombs. It seems that he just is a ghost. Yeah. You know, never born, never married, mm. never died. Scully does have a lead, though. She has found that the detective who investigated the murders in 1933 is still alive. So they go to the Lynn Acres retirement home in Baltimore to see him. He's elderly by now. Of course. His name is Detective Frank Briggs a 45-year veteran who retired in 1968. He looked like uh, the guy who played King Theoden. It wasn't him, though. <laughs> he did. He totally did. Bernard Hill. I thought it was Bernard Hill, the guy who played right. King Theoden, but it was not uh, the actor who plays him is Henry Beckman. So, at any rate, uh, <laughs> this guy, this detective, in his 45 years as a cop, <laughs> these particular murders which are called the Powhatan Mill murders, okay. always haunted him. He said somehow th- these murders in 1933 that, that, that Mulder's attributing to tombs, right. he said they always just felt horribly different from anything else, mm. as if they were done by a monster. We're getting some exposition here. you got to okay. read between the lines. You know, they're telling, The story's telling us something here. Yes. He, like Mulder, surmised that the same person that committed the murders in 1933 also committed them in 63, five years before he retired. Right. The, the murders happened in 63, and he thought, wait a minute. We're back. Th- this guy we could never catch in 33. It's got to be the same guy. Yeah. What's more is that Briggs was able to discover that the killer took trophies, which Mulder has found out. So everything's lining up. Yes. And unfortunately, Detective Briggs, in the in by 63, he said, look, I was old. You know, I, I, was, I was just, a, I had a desk job. Nobody was really listening to me. But these murders haunted him. Mm. And then we have another bombshell. As it turns out, Briggs was a lot like a Mulder. I liked this guy. Yeah, I liked Briggs. I would have liked to have seen a young Detective Briggs because here's the thing. He did his own little investigation off yeah. the books. 
he got a picture of the tombs in 63. Mm. And guess what? He exactly like, looks exactly like Eugene Victor tombs in 93. Nuts. Hasn't aged a day. Also, he's always been at this one particular place, these apartments, 66 Exeter Street. So Mulder and Scully head on over there. I mean, maybe they'll find him. The apartments actually on 66 Exeter Street, Poland. Yes, it's so perfect. I love it. The apartments are derelict and abandoned, but they're able to find an opening in the wall that leads to the cellar of the apartment building. Right. In the cellar, they find a small collection of personal items, one of them matching an item taken from the crime scene. Looks very similar. Then, a very strange and very disturbing discovery. Further investigation of the cellar leads them to a large wall of newspapers and rags. Yeah, Sorry, it's, like, it's, it's, so like, it's like a wall of newspapers and rags held together by a strange, slimy substance. They believe it's some kind of nest. I mean, it's kind of how it looks. It's really weird. It's a bizarre and terrifying sight. Scully is mortified. She looks like she's trying not to get sick. Well, isn't it held together? She, as being a doctor, she yeah. recognizes the, sm- the, the smell. Yeah, she, she recognizes the smell. She tells Mulder that she thinks it's bile. Ugh. Now, bile is secreted by the liver. The liver, right, exactly. So again, so it's all it's all the pieces. Everything are together. is connecting, yeah. But it's disgusting. That's that's like the ugh, ugh, that's the worst. And this is where we have our second Mulder moment. In response to everything he's seen through his research, investigation, and now looking at this horrifying sight, Mulder makes his final assertion: This is a nest where mm-hmm. tombs hibernates. Yep. Tombs, according to Mulder, is a man slash some kind of humanoid creature creature yeah. who is evolved or genetically mutated. He lives by consuming people's livers, and the five livers he consumes each cycle gives him sustenance in order to survive a 30-year hibernation. He wakes up, and then he does it all over he again. He feeds again, yeah. Thir- goes back to sleep, hibernates 30 years, gets up, does it all over again. Which, to go back to another illusion that we began with, Right. That's what it does every 27 years. Oh, okay. He feeds on the children, on wow. the fear of the children, and then goes into a hibernation and then wakes back up. That's interesting. Underneath, I didn't think about it. Underneath that. the city. And he How too has a it? nest. He too has. Well, and I just finished the book. So I'm, right. I'm, you know, I have a lot of that in my head. But yeah, so it's it's interesting how. And maybe that's because these kinds of tropes are just so ingrained in our culture right. now that we just accept it. So yeah. I think it's neat that there's a lot of cool allusions to other no, there uh, is. horror stories. Well, Scully finds all this hard to believe, but she cannot say very much because she simply can't dispute that all these things are connecting. Right. The science is fitting the, the right. fantastical, and we're like, what do we do? Yeah, because this isn't like aliens where, nah. you know, we're assuming maybe there's a, a spaceship, maybe that was a spaceship, maybe they're out there, I don't know. No, Nothing this is right it. here. This is happening right in front of her face yes. on Earth. They both agree to return to the apartments with a surveillance team. And as they leave, they're walking out. It's real dark. Scully suddenly stops and says, oh, you know, I've snagged myself on something. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, I got it. And she keeps going. We find that what she was snagged on was the hand of Tombs. I can't. Who was <laughs> in the ceiling of the cellar the entire time watching them. What's worse is that in his hand, as Mulder and Scully leave, is Scully's necklace. Oh, and it's so significant in this episode. Leading us to safely assume that he plans to have her as his fifth victim. Ugh. 
We then go to the outside of 66 Exeter Street at 11.30 a.m. Mulder's waiting outside the apartments when he's relieved by two agents. Mulder gives them the info on Tombs and says he'll be back in eight hours to relieve them. 7.30. Right. That night. The plan is to surveil and track Tombs and stop him from getting to his fifth victim. Meanwhile, an enraged Colton confronts Scully, upset over using two of his men to surveil Tombs, who he believes is innocent. Right. And then we go a few hours later, 7.30, eight hours, on the nose, Mulder is back to 66 Exeter Street, but to his shock, no agents are staking out the apartments. <sighs> Colton had made the brilliant move of calling off the stakeout at Exeter, and this proves deadly. Because as Scully arrives home for the evening, we find that Toombs, now without anyone watching him, was able to leave his apartment, his nest, yeah. if you will, Ugh. and is now stalking Scully, watching her as she enters her home. As she settles in, we see Toombs lurking outside her window. Mulder searches Toombs' lair and, to his horror, sees Scully's necklace among the little trinkets. Yes, his trophies. This is bad. Bad news bears. <laughs> Scully is drawing herself a bath in her home when suddenly from the ceiling a green slimy substance lands on her hand. Scully looks up and sees that it's coming from the vent. Realizing her peril, yep. she runs into the living room and grabs her pistol. Mulder is speeding to Scully's. Let me stop. <laughs> I just love how she's so quick to action. I she's know. not a damsel in distress. She really is not. Forget it. No. She not that she doesn't not that she doesn't need help. But she has, she is not going to run and hide and wait for help to come. No, absolutely not. Had she is all of our hero. Like, I mean, she just has her crap together. She does. She's. I just, love she's her, excellent. but I also love Mulder's devotion to her. Yeah, this is where we see that. Yeah, and so, I, so it's like it, it's it's just ugh, Mulder just is love that. yeah. Mulder is speeding to Scully's, attempting to call her, and he is upset. He's yelling, yep. screaming, "Pick up, pick up!" I love it. But there's no answer because we see. That Toombs has cut Scully's phone line. As Scully searches her home, Toombs emerges from a vent and viciously attacks her, overpowering her. And he pulls her shirt up like uh, and and reaches his hand back like, like he's about he's to go about for to her. Get the, the liver. Yeah. yeah. Mulder busts in just in time, and both he and Scully prevent Toombs from escaping. Like Mulder attacks and then Scully jumps in. Yeah. Like And again, just seamless partnership. They don't. There's not no it's, communication yeah. needed. They just no. they just know what to do. But I love yeah. I love it. But it's more than just like this professional partnership. No, it's yeah. this is there is something powerful here. Well, that's also why they disagree so powerfully. I when think so. when like when like in the the later episodes, like you pointed to how Scully how impassioned and angry she gets. Yeah, it's because there's more than professionalism there. Oh, absolutely. And I love it. I'm here for it. So Tombs is caught. They're able to overpower Tombs, prevent him from escaping. Tombs, by the way, is just terrifying. Yeah, he's That's awful. It. I, mean, I don't know if we talked enough about he's, that. But yeah, but he's we in see his it, height now. Yeah, we see it at length when he attacks Scully. Like, yeah. he's vicious. It's like an animal. Yeah, it is, definitely. It's and gotta... even after he they overpower him, he's still trying to get at Mulder, even though he's like, he's, like, cuffed to the bathtub. Yeah, he, he really becomes completely unhuman. Like in this right. in this particular scene, I mean, not that he was human when he was stretching himself through a chimney, but you right. know. <laughs> so Tombs is caught, and the next morning, we're with Detective Briggs, who is at his home, reading the newspaper, and he sees the article hmm. that a suspect in a series of murders, Eugene Victor Tombs, has been arrested, 
And this gives Briggs closure. He actually yeah. begins to weep. It moves him to tears. So sweet. You know, and it was, that was a cool moment. In custody, Toombs appears unbothered, just mm-hmm. as he was when he was being polygraphed. Yeah. He's ripping a newspaper to shreds, licking them, and throwing them in a pile of newspapers surrounding what appears to be already Ugh. a nest that he's constructing. Mulder is watching him intently yep. outside. Scully, in a moment we rarely see from her, happily gives Mulder evidence that supports his theory. <laughs> yep. That tests are being run on tombs, and they find that he has an abnormal skeletal and muscular structure Oof. and a declining metabolic rate, which is indicative of a creature or animal mm. that would hibernate. Interesting. Mulder doesn't seem to be listening. In a moment that he should be relishing, or at least like, wow, this is great. Like, yeah, it Scully's, should be a triumph for him. Yeah. Scully's on board with me on this one. <laughs> Finally. He's still watching Tombs with an unsettled expression on his face. Then he finally speaks what he's thinking. All these people putting bars on their windows, spending good money on high-tech security systems, trying to feel safe. I look at this guy and I think, it ain't enough. Mm. Scully gently places her hand on Mulder's arm and they leave together. An orderly then walks up to Toombs' cell and slides a tray of food through a small slot in the door. Toombs looks over, his eyes turning a yellow color. As he stares at that very small opening, slowly his mouth curls into a sinister smile. And that is Squeeze. One of my favorite episodes. Yes. It's only the third one. Oh, it's so good. And creepy. Yeah, it was perfect. I mean, I love this episode. So, I mean... Such a great episode, not only because Tombs is such a unique villain. Yeah. But seeing uh, Mulder come to Scully's rescue was yeah. great. Seeing Scully defend Mulder. Mm-hmm. Seeing seeing some some intimate like moments of affection yeah. like the, the, the necklace tug was well, so because important. Because the, the episode prior, Scully came to Mulder's rescue, right? So it makes sense. It's only it's yeah. only fitting, and I, I just love that it's they they each just jump to attention. If the both other of one's them display threatened. an intense amount of emotion when yeah. the other is in peril, yes, so early on, yeah, I think that's what it is because it's not like we are watching a show about a about a, a about partners that have been partners for a while, no. so that's already there. We watched them meet, like yeah. meet. And it's already there. It's like soulmates, honestly. Yeah, it is. Like, I mean, that's I just, the best way I can describe the, it. That's the only way to describe Even it. Even though it's not romantic. It doesn't have to be point. at this point. But, but they're, it's they're, definitely more than platonic friendship. It's no. just something other. No, it is. It's really powerful. And I like that we can't define it yet. But f- seeing that kind of powerful stuff between those two surrounded by something really creepy and scary yeah. like, like tombs. Mm hmm. And the way he was like contorting his body, or he would climb up the wall. Remember when he was climbing up the wall? You're like, oh, that's like Dracula. Yes, because if you've not Guys, read oh, the gosh. book, yeah. you need to read the book. Don't I you? followed Brooks' advice yes. to read Bram Stoker's Dracula, and it is my favorite yes. novel. Listen, I am a Dracula. I'm like a vampire now. I'm a, I'm a vampire snob. Like, make no mistake. I'm not going right. to watch anything vampire. But no. I have a I have a Dracula affinity. It's what I did my senior thesis on. Like, I have. I've got some I've got some thoughts. So, I've read the book and if you read the book, Dracula has this lizard-like ability where he climbs up and right. down walls. So, when I saw him do that, I was like, "Oh, that's it's like Dracula. Uh, it's terrible." Yeah, and by the way, I would love to uh, I would love to know what went behind 
just some of these things, like putting it in Baltimore. Yeah, like why and, these and, places? And even him crawling up the the house when he made the fourth murder. Yeah, that reminded us of Dracula. I just would, you know, I'd love to know. Yeah, if you there always was some... wonder what they drew inspiration from. Yeah, just because it could be anything. Yeah, but well, by the and which which leads me to. Uh, of something I wanted to say I didn't Ooh, say earlier yes. is just that no it's this this episode was directed by Harry Longstreet and was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Okay, I just always oh, like to give props yes. on that. That was again squeeze, and such an excellent excellent episode. And again, the first of the monster of the week. So mm-hmm. which means there's many many more, and I'm I'm excited about all these as well. But man, Tombs was just so hard to live up to. I mean, yeah. I always remembered this guy. Such a good one. Yeah, he's horrifying. I just love the X Files. I know we and do. I hope you guys and have I enjoyed. think you guys do too, which is awesome. Yeah, so we can all hang out and talk about it together on Instagram. Yeah, and you know, like like I said, just to just to say again, you know, um, any amount of time you spend listening to our little podcast, we just want you to know we absolutely appreciate it. Yes, we, we and do. we've um, we've we've seen a few a few new faces um, yeah. here at the at the tape store, whether it's through Instagram or whatever, and we just want to say thank you so much for for mm-hmm. hanging out with us for following along. You know, pop over to Instagram and and let us know who you are. We really love to connect with you guys, like as real people. Yeah, Instagram's the best place to do that. Yeah, and we've had a blast and have made some great friends. You know, through this journey, uh, going on a year. So yes, it's and coming. So we just love our listeners and we appreciate our listeners and we we just you know that's why we make a point during every mm-hmm. show to let you know that. So we hope you've enjoyed the ride. Um, we hope you're enjoying Spooky Month. Yes. Because the entire month of September is Halloween Eve, as we always say. It is. It is. And we have a lot more great stuff coming up. And we're excited oh, yeah. to share that and we're excited to share that with you because there just wouldn't be a really a reason doing it, you know. No. If we didn't have not. some great folks to share it with. So that's you guys. So thank you. So all that to say, we will see you next Thursday with more great eighties and nineties nostalgia at the tape store. And until then, we're gonna shut it down. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. The truth is out there. 